welcome back. There's something about technology in the healthcare industry that really resonates with me. But let's be honest, no one really likes spending time in hospital. Well, today my guest is Ken, founder and CEO of Personify Care. What Personify Care set out to achieve, amongst other things, is to reduce the readmission rates of patients back into hospital after surgery. And that's a pretty great thing for the patient and for the hospital and for the clinicians and our healthcare industry in general. In our interview, Ken covers a lot of ground about building a tech company, including is there really any greater purpose in your work than helping save lives? And when building a new product, decision-maker engagement is really good, but designing anything without the ultimate end users having their input will see your product sit on the shelf. He also covers that the process of getting well doesn't stop when you leave hospital, how perceived risk in a complex industry like healthcare can hold back innovation, and that technology companies and service don't have to be mutually exclusive. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. Thank you very much for uh, having us along today to talk about the story of Personify Care. Absolutely. So let's start with your elevator pitch. Sure. So we, if I care, started around four years ago, really from a fundamental belief belief that patients deserve the best possible care even after they leave hospital and the realisation that, that clinical teams within a hospital or clinic actually deserve to be spending most of their time actually caring for patients rather than doing a whole bunch of uh, mundane admin manual processes. So um, since then, what we've developed is really a mobile platform uh, that allows us to help clinical teams really track and monitor the patient's recovery from a procedure or a surgery after they've left and and also prepare them for a procedure before they've come in. Um, So really allowing clinical teams to deliver these evidence-based protocols that have proven outcomes that more often than not don't reach patients because we're still using paper forms and phone calls in the health system. Mm -hmm. And so does that help follow what needs to be done post-operative or uh, post-care, post-operative care, but does it also help the patient keep track of what they should be doing and what uh, and their process as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was kind of part of the genesis of where we started. It was really around some, um, you know, personal patient experiences. As a patient, I, I went through our health system, one of the best health systems in the world. Uh, and uh, as a patient, I, I was surrounded by a family of health professionals and I still had no idea what I was supposed to be doing after I left the clinic or the hospital in, in, in a number of cases. And so part of where we started was, well, you know, how do you provide that support and, and information that's needed by patients after they leave a, a clinical setting? Uh, because we've all been there. We've all left the, the doctor's office or a hospital and, and all of the important questions that we wanted to ask come up to come come to us, you know, uh, a day or two after we've had that interaction. So very much so our focus is on how do you um, provide the support that's needed to patients and ultimately improve their experience, but also reduce the chances that they're going to be uh, bounced back and readmitted into hospital. And, and that's a big problem in the health system, both here and overseas. I think we all love a story where it- the innovation comes out of a personal experience. I think that's a fantastic uh, motivator often to uh, to drive new innovation. But this isn't your first gig, is it? Where did you start before Personify Care? I mean, so I, I, I tell the story. I started life as, a, as an engineer writing code for uh, the likes of Motorola. And I spent a bunch of my time early on in my career working in the US and Europe, um, really integrating uh, uh, phone systems into cars. Mm. Um, so as a young back, engineer, back in the day when back, that when that when that was a thing, yeah, absolutely. When, when a phone used to be built into the car rather than uh, something you put in your pocket, right? But very quickly, I learned that 
just doing pure technical work wasn't wasn't all I wanted to do. Uh, and so I spent a bunch of my career in between uh, technical people and the commercial side of, of, of businesses and a range of different companies. And a lot of that was building tech out of out of Adelaide, um, but typically selling to uh, customers that are typically being overseas and predominantly in the US and, and Europe. So the last um, major role that I had before getting involved in healthcare, I spent seven years in a company called Euromigo. So one of Adelaide's best kept secrets, um, a search company that was essentially using uh, lots of data to make it easier for consumers to find what they wanted to buy from big online retailers like Sony and Reebok and okay. Dell and others. And part of part of that journey to, to getting involved with and starting Personify Care was really about we learned from from what I learned from that experience was uh, you make it easier for a consumer to find what they wanted to buy and they'll buy lots more stuff. Uh, so we said, well, how can we how can we apply some of those same principles to uh, helping patients do what they need to do after after a procedure? Uh, if we make it easier for them, uh, maybe they'll do more of it, and maybe they'll have better health outcomes and less uh, less complications after a procedure. Wow, fantastic! So, so what was the first step? You determined a need. What what happened after that? Yeah, so I. I'm always skeptical of these stories where there's a light bulb moment where everything happens in you know, overnight. <laughs> uh, I think I think the very first step, you know, for me was the trigger was I was still working at Euromigo and and I came home one day and was telling my wife, uh, who's a healthcare professional, a pharmacist, uh, telling my wife about the record revenues that we'd we'd achieved that month. She said, uh, "Well, I saved two people's lives today," uh, and, <laughs> and I said, "I said, well, you win." And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that was part of the story to how I got interested in healthcare, where where the problems are so large and and the impact you can have is is so significant and an individual, but a whole health systems uh, uh, perspective that that uh, if you could use technology to reduce that friction between and get the information to both clinicians and patients at the right time, you could have a serious impact both from a financial perspective, but more importantly to someone's life, right? And so that's kind of where we started. So I got really interested in the healthcare space more generally. Uh, did a bit, did a few projects here and there, get, getting to getting my hands dirty, so to speak, in mm-hmm. healthcare, uh, and um, really started personified care when we identified that this this journey after hospital was a big problem. That you know one in five patients across the US and and probably Australia, if you, depending on the data you read, one in five patients gets readmitted into hospital after a surgery within 30 days. One in five. Uh, so that's 20% of patients that go into hospital uh, are going to bounce back. And, and so not all of those are avoidable, but a big chunk of them would be. Mm. And so what can we do to keep people from bouncing back to hospital? So we found we found this opportunity where you could help the patient. This readmission problem was a huge financial burden on the health, health system. And... And increasingly, hospitals themselves were being made accountable for that readmission. So increasingly in the U.S. and also to some degree here in Australia, uh, hospitals are now accountable financially for that readmission. So either there are penalties uh, for for readmissions within that 28-day or 30-day period. Uh, so this, it was this interesting problem where you could you could uh, improve the experience for the patient, but also solve a commercial problem which we needed to find. Otherwise, it's a nice in theory idea, but not really a commercial proposition. So if hospitals were being held more accountable, what was stopping them from 
creating a solution like this themselves. So, I mean, I mean, that's that's a trend that's still still flowing through the healthcare system. Um, and one of the things that we realise is that if you look at the numbers and the proportion of our state budgets and our national budgets that's being spent on healthcare, it's growing every year. And so it's, you know, like every Western population, uh, aging populations mm. means that every time someone goes to hospital, they're, they're more likely to be readmitted because they're older, they have other uh, comorbidities, they're, they're more complex. And increasingly, we're, being, we're asking our clinical teams to treat them faster, to get them out of hospital more quickly. Um, and, and so it's one of these things where in healthcare, um, you know, I often get asked why they've adopted tech, why is healthcare adopting technology so slowly? So on the one hand, doing the same thing that we did yesterday is safe and we're dealing with people's lives. So uh, unless you can prove that what you're doing is is as good or better than before, uh, you're probably not likely to just experiment with new things, right? And also I assume there needs to be some level of guarantee that sits around that new thing that you're going to do Absolutely. because being safe and doing it the way we've always done it provides at least a safety net to fall back on, doesn't it? Absolutely. If and something I, happens. But but I think sometimes sometimes that gets used as a reason not to try something, yeah. right? So the cost of what's the cost of doing nothing? What's the cost of not following up with these patients after they've left? Um, often that gets missed in the conversation uh, and just falling back to what we've done previously is, is works. And I think what's driving change is, is the you know just the the financial imperatives around this thing that. But if we keep doing what we're doing, uh, no one's going to be able to afford healthcare anymore. And I assume it's no different in the public or private sector because private sector is driven just as much by you know, profitability as as public. At the end of the day, particularly in Australia, we're, we're all we're paying for it one way or the other, yep. uh, either through our taxes or our health insurance premiums, and and one way or the other, we're we're paying for it. Mm. I think the other challenge in, in healthcare, but from a commercial standpoint, is working out who pays for anything. Uh, so unlike other industries where you have one customer and you're going to go and sell to them and you're selling to them a specific value proposition, in healthcare you always have the patient who needs to be looked after, uh, the clinician who has top of mind, you know, how are they looking after the patient and what quality of care they're delivering. And then typically there's an organisation like a hospital that's wrapped around that. And and you almost have to provide value to all those three kind of components side of the equation at the same time otherwise you're just doing something good in theory but doesn't really last for very mm. long uh, so we all say we kind of we look for opportunities where we can uh, improve the quality of care and experience for the patient um, save time and effort for clinical teams but also save uh, save money for an organization if we can do those three things at the same time then you've got half a chance of getting something working in healthcare and is it different in places like the US where the health insurance organizations play um, perhaps a more significant role than they do here in Australia? Yeah, certainly the funding models and the way um, the way things are funded generally is very different in the US. Um, but fundamentally, the problem we're addressing is, is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, when someone gets a, a discharge from hospital or someone uh, we're preparing for someone to come in to uh, have a treatment or a procedure, there are financial penalties one way or the other to the organization there's a whole bunch of time and clinical time that's chewed up trying to get patients ready and tracking how they're going post-discharge and and there's the patient in the middle uh, trying to get the best possible care in the process 
So your wife beats you down one day and tells you that your job isn't important, right? You go off and do some projects in health. And I agree. Right? <laughs> you go off and do some projects in the health arena. Um, what was the first step in in kicking personified care off? Yeah. So so the first you know point where we you know I, I found a, a a developer that I'd worked with previously who uh, spent a few months putting together pulling together our early prototype of what we had just so that we could go and. Uh, go in front of customers and and potential users of our system and get some feedback. And so we did some very early pilots with a few, and got some feedback in a whole range of different areas. And then you know early on we didn't really just focus in on the surgical journey post discharge. We we were experimenting with a whole range of different different settings. Um, and then I uh, got introduced to uh, Ivan, who is now our CTO. Um, so again, he was an engineer uh, who'd worked in a whole range of d- different uh, companies and industries. He'd done some study in the U.S., worked in the U.S., and, and now living here in Adelaide. And um, you know, we shared that experience of having a partner who was a health professional. So his wife's a doctor, uh, and both of us had this view of the world where we were seeing the system both as a patient, but also in the eyes of a of a clinic, clinical person. And to us as engineers, it made no sense whatsoever that you know uh, clin- valuable clinical time was being spent collecting information from patients over the phone, reviewing information on paper forms, and and really trying to work out who are the patients that need our help today, right? Uh, and and so um, working with him, we, we really you know developed our first real version of our product and. Our first break was with a local hospital, private hospital here in South Australia, who who saw something in what we were doing, probably a bit innovative in the way they were doing things, and and you know, agreed to pilot what we were doing with a with a I think at the time it was about a hundred patients, and so we tried did our first pilot with uh, breast cancer patients, so they're having breast cancer surgery, uh, and we ran ran a pilot to demonstrate the value we could add to both the patients and the clinical team, and you know. To, to Ivan's credit, uh, it worked, uh, you know, uh, and uh, he developed that, that technology early on and uh, uh, we managed to get some early good results that we managed to kind of present at a, at a conference and, and, and started to get some real credibility from that point on. Wow. And so were you still working at this time or had you sort of made the jump out to do personified care full time? No, so I, you know, when when we first started, uh, I was I'd I'd left uh, I'd left your amigo for for a couple of years and was doing some contracting work uh, on the side to to pay the bills. Uh, for the first uh, six months, Ivan was doing it on nights and weekends, yep. and uh, and um, you know for the first year and a half, we were we were really just doing it uh, part time until we really could prove that what we were doing had some. Kind of commercial merit as well as we knew it was helping. It was going to help patients, uh, and we knew we could save some time for the clinical team. Is you know how do you line that up with something that that actually has a a value proposition to someone who might buy this as well? And so, first trial obviously successful. Where to from there? So so from there we'd worked out that okay we've got something that patients would use, and there was a lot of skepticism at the time about. Well, would the older demographic use a phone to track how they're recovering and communicate with their clinical team? Um, so we had something we knew that had some legs when we got some feedback from clinical teams, from nursing staff typically, uh, that were caring for these patients after they'd left hospital, that, that this, this was a problem. But if we could save them some time, 
that was a scarce commodity and if they could spend more of their time on the patients that actually needed them rather than uh, processing paperwork and screening patients manually, uh, then we might have something there. And I, and I always tell the story that some of the very early meetings we had with those experienced, you know, dedicated nursing staff, we would walk into a room and, and you know, we were early on, thought we had the solution to, to everything. And, you know, the early feedback was, can go away. We've got patients to look after. <laughs> we don't need another bit of technology creating more work for us. And 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 a lot of, a lot of our time was spent really trying to understand that, that a lot of the technology that come before really created more work for people rather than save them time. And so a lot of these systems that are in place at the moment uh, are still, you know, were written and designed a decade or two ago um, and, and, you know, by and large didn't involve the people caring for patients in designing those things as well. So that from that, we learned very early on to, to stay really close to those those key people that were looking after patients. And so that's now part of our mission is how do we help uh, clinicians who work really hard every day to look after patients. How do we help them help their patients? How do we allow them to do their best work and, and, and deliver these evidence-based protocols that often don't reach the patient because we're spending all our time just dealing with the, with the noise and the, and, the, and the paperwork? Continually fascinates me about technology projects that end up not delivering. And there are case study after case study, example after example. And South Australia is no orphan there. There's plenty of them around. And it obviously makes it harder for those that do have a great outcome, Mm. a great outcome for both patients and for hospital administrative and clinical staff to actually get their technology in because they've got to not only you know, convince and show that they can deliver the value, but also they're selling against the stuff that was sold 10 years ago or five years ago that never never delivered. Yeah, I mean, you're almost dealing with the perception of what's come before, right? That's and, right. And, and, and that's part of, part of where we went next was we had something we knew had some value, right? So now how do we turn this into something that isn't isn't going to need to be supported indefinitely by government grants, et cetera, right? So how do we... How do we create a commercial model that allowed people to to buy this, right? And, and allowed us to grow our team and, and, and grow our technology. So we we decided to try and do something different. So we we said, you know, there's this whole software industry around that's called software as a service. Mm-hmm. Where you, you know, you go onto Netflix, put in your credit card, they charge you a monthly fee and you get a service, right? So the one thing that was very evident at the time was that uh, technology companies and service were two things that often don't go together, that you often got charged for service, right? You often got charged to pick up the phone and talk to someone about the product uh, in healthcare. Uh, so so we, we, we said, let's try and provide software as a service to hospitals to the point now where we're charging a monthly subscription for any staff members that need access to our system. And we don't charge a big upfront implementation fee we don't you know there's no need to for a big project upfront uh, and so when we talk to people now it's a, a big part of what what we're selling is is you can deploy what we're doing in a week or two we're allowing you to plug in your existing workflows and protocols and you can do that with an interface where you literally drag and drop things on a screen and you don't have to change anything about what you're doing. There's no big project management thing it's not going to cost you millions of dollars to deploy a big EMR system. Uh, you can deploy us in a couple of weeks and save up to 60 to 70% of the time you're spending at the moment processing paperwork and spend all of that time 
looking after the, your most sickest patients because you actually know who they are without extra extra work and effort. Uh, and so that was a big change. And, and it took us a while to realize that we have to over-communicate that because when we walked into a room, people just assumed it was going to be a project that was going to take at least 12 months' time and a few million dollars uh, to, to deploy something like this. You've just removed almost every barrier to selling it. Yeah, and, and, and you know, part of that is, is shamelessly copying uh, the business model of, of uh, what your Amigo did, right? Uh, so, I mean, part, a big part of what they were offering was um, a, a service that generated more revenue for online retailers, right? And, and that's how they sold it. They said, well, we'll generate more revenue for you and that's all you have to worry about. Um, and that's, in a way, what we tried to emulate, what, you know, remove every barrier that... that might might be in place for a hospital or a clinical team or a clinician to adopt what you're doing um, and let them see the value you're generating. Uh, and yeah, early on, we had a lot of, um, you know, we had a lot of good meetings from people who were really interested in what we're doing. And, and uh, we'd, get, we'd get some groups that said that we wouldn't hear from for a few months. Uh, and then we'd call them up and say, well, you know, just following up on how that how that uh, presentation went three months ago. What what happened? And they said they'd say, "Oh well, we got stuck at the business case. We kind of were, were trying to work out, you know, what the ROI was, what the return on investment was going to be." And and uh, we would, well, I, I would say, "Well, we can send you a bunch of case studies if you like, um, but why don't you just try it for a few months and measure it yourself?" Uh, and you can have your own case study to, to, to work out the return on investment for you in your particular case, right? Um, and if you don't like it, switch us off and, and um, you would have you know, lost not very much, right? Um, that'll be a lot quicker than us giving you, you know, thinking about it for three months. And, and, that's, you know, and in that particular case, they said, fine, send us an agreement and we'll start, we'll start in a month or two. And, and that's, what, that's what we're trying to do, I guess, is you know, make it really easy for clinical teams. They've got enough to worry about uh, without having to spend months thinking about how to deploy a new technology is going to change everything. Fantastic. So where are, you, where are you today? So I know you've been involved in some overseas deployments, is that right? Yeah, so a big part of what, when we started, a big part of what we were trying to do is how do we uh, start here in Australia? But, but again, going back on my experience before, you know, a lot of my experience was building tech in, in South Australia and then, and then predominantly spending my time in the U.S. market. Um, the U.S. has uh, the problem we're trying to solve is 10 times bigger in that market. Um, so that uh, readmission problem we were talking about costs about $130 billion a year to, oh, to that health system. And, and you know, the incentives, the financial incentives for uh, clinicians, hospital systems, surgical centers... Uh, are probably a year or two ahead of, of where we are in Australia in terms of improving patient experience scores, uh, improving healthcare outcomes for patients um, from a financial perspective. Um, so our focus was, well, how do we get to the US market and how do we try something there? Um, and it was almost through some, uh, you know, timing is everything sometimes, um, we were made aware through through uh, Australia actually through a, a, uh, a program that was set up by the Consular General at the time in in Houston um, that was setting up a biobridge program that uh, connected uh, the Texas Medical Center with Australian digital health companies. Um, 
So the Texas Medical Center is the biggest medical center in the world, has the biggest number of hospitals. Uh, and the size of the uh, Texas market for what we're doing is is just as big as the Australian market as a whole. Um, and so we were last year one of three Australian companies to be invited by the Innovation Institute to go and work with them to really test what we're doing in the US market, work out what, you know, work out all the compliance things that we needed to cover if we were going to go into that market. So it really came at a perfect time. We'd really started some of those processes already with plans to, to go in there. Uh, but it's one thing to to have a plan and, and another just to rock up in a, in, in the US and say, how oh, we're starting. Right? We're here. Yeah, exactly. So so that, that provided us a great opportunity, a great stepping step to both test whether what we're doing really made sense in that market, um, but also really get in front of... Um, you know some of the key decision makers and influencers in that in that marketplace, and, and so through that we got introduced to a bunch of uh, different providers, uh, different uh, connections, uh, and learnt a lot through through a program that was run over a period of four months. So I spent the majority of four month period in Houston, and uh, uh, we ran our first uh, pilot in the US uh, to really kind of test a lot of these things that we tested here in Australia. Uh, and and what we learned there from that was how are we going to get our first customers? What are, what will our first customers be? And you know, surprise, surprise, it's completely different than what we thought it was and what it is in Australia. Um, so just uh, last week, uh, so since then we've we've just last week brought on our first uh, full time uh, business development manager in Houston who started working for us there, um, with a view of kind of going out and and attacking that market pretty pretty hard. Mm. That's super exciting. Yeah, no, it's it's very exciting, and and you know the the opportunity to go and work with the biggest medical center in the world and, and test what you're doing against some of the um, best companies from around the US and and across the world actually. So they had about twenty odd companies that had come through the program with us, um, and learning from some of those connections and, and having those connections was was tremendously valuable for what we were trying to achieve as well. Mm. I think the natural question is, you know, can you continue to drive this out of Adelaide into a global market at scale? What's your thoughts around that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I have no doubt about that whatsoever. There's, uh, there's so many advantages about running a global business out of Australia uh, generally, but in Adelaide in particular. Uh, and as I tell everyone, uh, I've never done anything different, right? Literally every job after finishing my engineering degree at Adelaide Uni has been working in Adelaide, predominantly developing technology solutions, but working with US customers. Uh, so I've never known anything different. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the opposite to probably most people. Yeah, and, and, and I guess my attitude has always been that Adelaide's a great place to build a company as long as your market's not just Adelaide. Mm. Um, so if your market's just Adelaide, then you, we prob- you, know, you probably have that constraint of a relatively small market. Um, but, if, but if you're doing something in technology in particular, um, there's absolutely no reason why you can't build high-quality technology out of Adelaide and, uh, and sell to an international market. Um, it's not straightforward. It's a lot harder not being being able to walk down the road and talk to your customers. Um, but there's no reason why it can't be done. And we have a lot of advantages. We have three good universities that produce you know high quality talent every year. Um, you know our our lifestyle, while everyone, while some people might see that as a 
kind of Achilles heel, um, I think provides a lot of uh, you know benefits to people that are working with you as a, as, as a team. Uh, so if you can find a way of, of building a team and building a company out of Adelaide, why else would you want to live anywhere else, right? Um, and, and then yeah, there's just some basic you know cost advantages. You know, try and hire a team of engineers in. Uh, in San Francisco right now, and you're probably paying a little bit more than you would pay for for a team of people of the same caliber here in Adelaide. So, um, yeah, and, and so one of one of the things I've always said is that I think one of the keys is if you're going to go into an international market like the US, you probably want to find local people that that have experience in that market that that speak that language, and and when I say speak that language, I don't mean English, right? So. People in Houston speak a very different language to people in California and a very different language to people in Adelaide. Um, so that um, particularly in healthcare, there's, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. that I think uh, people underestimate. So I think uh, that's, that's really what we're trying, that to, to have customer-facing people that in the markets where we're targeting, but then develop the tech, core technology out of our team here, here in Australia. So if you're looking into the future now, You've got a strong base in the US with some great customers. What about the UK? What about the NHS? What about other markets around the world? Yeah, I think that, I think we'll probably take one market at a time. I mean, every time you go into a new market, there's a whole bunch of compliance and regulatory uh, steps that we have to take. And I think I think for us, uh, the future of you know what market we go to next there's a huge huge opportunity to in in asia there's huge opportunity in places like the uk and europe um, but i think i think before that i think there's a bigger opportunity for us as we grow the number of um, hospitals and clinical groups that we're working with and and start to collect some really good data um, there's an opportunity for us to start to prove what uh, clinical benefits we can have on patient outcomes so over the next 12 months, one of our key areas of focus is to start to work with uh, some research organizations and clinical research organizations about measuring what impact we can have on improving survival rates of patients, improving readmission rates, improving just the experience that a patient has in a measurable way that um, you can you know, publish a paper on. So someone else measuring it, not, not us saying how yeah. good we are. Um, and and you know, our vision going forward is really about um, wouldn't it be great once we have some critical mass of some of this data to be able to really try and pinpoint what are the few things that patients um, do at home that really predict and, and drive really good outcomes for various types of procedures that they're having? Because if you can start to identify some of those things, um, you can have a real, real impact on, on a whole range of different areas beyond just uh, saving time and effort, right? When you're measuring your business success based on saving customer lives, it's a it's a big outcome, isn't it? Even if it's just one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think that's one of the one of the things that got our team into healthcare to begin with. That that you know, if we can start to use technology not only to um, you know save some dollars but save some lives and if you can do that in a way that the more successful you are the better better outcomes you can have for patients um, you know that that is the purpose of our company you know how can we have a meaningful impact on patients uh, outcomes 
um, both in terms of you know how many patients are we helping, but how many how, how big an impact we can have. Because the more we do that, uh, the more more time and money we're going to save for everyone in the system, and the more successful we're going to be commercially. And, the, and in my mind, the two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Mm. That you can do both uh, and do them well. Mm. I had a uh, <clears throat> had an email from a customer of mine a little while ago in the health sector about some technology that we deployed, and they said that because of the technology that we deployed, the diagnosis of the patient was so much quicker than perhaps previously uh, available to them, which then saved the customer permanent brain injury uh, compared to had they not had that technology. And all of the you know, all of the history and the effort that you go into putting that technology in place just just is minuscule in comparison to just, just to that one email about the impact on a patient's life. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think I think they're the stories that that really you know keep us going as a team, right? I mean, so we we just presented a, a case study with with one of the hospitals we're working with here in South Australia uh, that that brought in our system about a year and a half ago, and uh, and I still remember the story of within six months of of them using our system, we were getting stories from their nursing staff about about patients that had. You know, an orthopedics knee, resp- knee replacement, and and because they were being monitored against their protocols through our system, um, they caught the fact that this patient got somehow put on warfarin a few da- few days after they had surgery, and and you know their their knee that just had surgery was was blowing out, and 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 the reason they picked it up was was that they were being monitored through mm. our system, right? So that could have been a really dangerous outcome mm. for, for that patient. Um, but you know, to be able to find that needle in the haystack is kind of what we're trying to achieve as well. Yeah, that's cool. So every startup has its challenges. Every startup that moves into successful business has its challenges. What hasn't worked for you? What have you found most challenging so far? Yeah, I think um, I, I know it sounds like a, a cliche, but um, things always seem to take longer to to than, than what you plan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, particularly in healthcare. Particularly in healthcare, right? <laughs> um, I, and, and when we first started, we thought, well, if we found something that made a lot of sense to, to patients, then surely we're on to a winner here. Right? And why isn't everyone just why snapping it, it up everyone, right now? That's right. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes that's the reaction of, of the people that join, have joined our team recently is, you know, you, you talk to them and that's part of, you know, how we pick the people that are part of what we're doing, that they really believe in what we're trying to do. Uh, and then... And then they kind of are trying to present what we're doing to uh, to the broader world and broader market, and and uh, things don't happen as fast as we'd like them to sometimes. And and sometimes that's the challenge: is is how do you how do you uh, uh, plan for the best but prepare for the worst, and 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 find that balance between how fast you try and go down a particular direction. And so for us, we're kind of trying to use this approach of, particularly in this in this space of how do we reach our customers as efficiently as possible, um, thinking about it in terms of a lot of little experiments where where we run a bunch of different experiments and learn what works and doesn't based on feedback we get from the market, from customers, from clinical teams, uh, and then spend more time on the things that start to show some some signs that they're working. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, that's that's the direction I, I'm hoping we can drive this company is is while we have a very uh, patient-focused and customer-focused purpose, is you know, how do you 
how do you drive a lot of this this stuff through measuring things and and, and be as data driven as we can be. Good stuff. Well, thank you very much for sharing your fantastic story. I'm pretty excited to see what happens next for you. And uh, it's a great story for both South Australia and really for uh, for all of us because of uh, the outcomes that it delivers for patients. So thanks very much for sharing your story. Thanks. Thank you, Ben. Cheers. I think my favourite part of Ken's story was when he was telling his wife about his great achievements one day at work before he started at Personify Care. And when he asked her what she did that day, it was like, oh, I saved two lives today. Boom. Well, that certainly puts into perspective what we consider important in life. If you want to find out more about Personified Care, then head over to our website, www.theselfmadetheory.com, where you will find all the ways that you can contact Personified Care, plus you'll see my show notes there as well. If you're enjoying our stories and interviews, then drop us a line or let us know via social media. Hey, maybe share it with your friends and colleagues. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering. Mm-hmm.